As we continue through 2 Corinthians, I invite you to open up in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 12. Elder Ken Burrell will be preaching for you in two weeks out of 1 John in the evening hour. Pastor Nathan Herman on the 10th. And uh, Lord willing, I'll bring you another message from 2 Corinthians next Sunday morning. Let us read God's word together as you listen to the inerrant word of God. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. Though I am nothing. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O Lord, open this text to the release of Christ's power in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not believe it, but God is at work in your worst moments. It's right there in the Bible. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It might just be a guy thing, but at this point in my life and career nearing age 64, I don't respond negatively so much to what people do against me. That was pretty clear. I've done a little growing up since I was 54. But rather, my internal life of sadness is usually calibrated to those moments When I respond to life with weakness, expressed as giving into sin or just not caring about life, just not putting out the way I should, ministering to people, doing what I should to serve in the church. Those are my worst moments when I let myself down. But Jesus says to us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We breeze past this truth, so we're not going to do it. We did deal with this two weeks ago, but somebody said, Pastor, how does that work in practice? Could you give us some ideas in everyday life? Well, so that's what I'm going to try to do today as we unpack especially verse 10. But, But we try to breeze through life without facing our weaknesses. Our culture has taught us to think that our worst moments are meant to be covered up that we must at all costs keep up a front of strength, casually assuming our own competency and personal perfection. We think we're at our best when everything is sailing smoothly. But in fact, it's our personal apprehension of weakness that is the moment that we wake up to the fact that we need God. And our realization of weakness is a sign that God is at work. At that moment, we know our weakness and confess it. 
that's when God moves in with his power. You remember the old Route 66? It was that road across America before the throughway system was put in, and they had these diners all along, and these weird little um, motels, and some of the diners had an eat here sign with a big neon sign up front, and it was saying, come in here to get your food. Well, there's eat here signs in our life on Luzerne Road or wherever you live. Our weaknesses are like those red neon signs pointing us to God. And those signs say hope here, power here, salvation here. But they're pointing away from themselves and pointing us toward Jesus. Don't drive by the neon sign today. Don't hurry past your weaknesses and anxiously put them in your rearview mirror. Instead, when you encounter weakness, or rather when weakness slams you in the face like a sledgehammer, turn in for a while off the busy road of life and visit with God. And see God at work first in your life through your weaknesses, verses 9 and 10, in your life, when you acknowledge your nothing, verse 11, and in the apostles' life, through their miracles, laying the groundwork for us to hear the message of the gospel through the written word of God. So first, God at work in a believer's weaknesses, verses 9 and 10. Even when you face the reality of your sin and it's staring you in the face, you got to do something about it. Do you see what Paul does? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. He confesses it. He boasts of it. He doesn't pass by. Even in a moment when you failed by sinning, when you own that guilt and are burdened by it, you then have the opportunity to offload that guilt and to say to the Lord, I grieve my sin. I stand in your righteousness. I am forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. Here Paul confesses the weaknesses that come up. I'm sad to report that women and men who minimize their weaknesses by redefining them as nothing much, oh, that's not a sin, or, or that's really not a weakness in my life, I'm, I'm just doing things differently. Well, there are some things that are weaknesses. It's not all a, a, a personality issue. There are weaknesses where we're self-centered and we don't care about people, where we let down and don't contribute to the family the way we should when we don't help out in the church family? Yes, we have weaknesses. But when we face them and confess them, we have the opportunity for progress, to grow in sanctification, to have a mid-course correction, a fresh infusion of God's grace. The Apostle Paul now lists five categories of weakness in verse 10, I want to take a look at these words and unpack them with you. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, 
then I am strong. He's saying that in each of these categories, when I'm weak in these categories, then I'm strong. So let's take a peek at that. But remember what we learned two weeks ago, that the power of Christ on me is an impartation of the Shekinah glory. And that isn't a glory that's giving us a halo right now. That is a glory which, as we read in our Bible verse, it's the glory beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord that we're transformed into the same image. The glory of the Lord for us has to do with conforming us to the image of Christ. And that is by the power of the Spirit of God working through the Word. And so now, how does it happen? We see here in the first case, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. That's the Greek word estheneia. It means feebleness or a malady or a moral frailty. Let's start with that last one. It's a weakness that comes into our life because of sin and demonic activity. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 2, you see the word estheneia there. And it's in the second verse, but we're going to read 1 and 2, Luke 8, 1 and 2. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him, from their own substance. Now these are disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of them had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. That shows a connection there. That somehow those infirmities were related to the evil dark side that had pressed her. Now when it says at the beginning of 12.10, I take pleasure in infirmities. We are never to take pleasure in our sin. We never take pleasure in the things that drag us down. We should never take pleasure in consorting with the demonic. But what he is taking pleasure is the infirmity that's like the canary in the coal mine. When our life begins to fall apart and we see weakness in our life, and we see it and it's brought to our attention because something's grown wrong in our life, that sometimes is related to our sin. Not in every case, but sometimes it is. So we take pleasure even in the diagnosis. Maybe a doctor gives us a diagnosis of something in our life that's related to sin. Maybe, maybe we've been drinking too much. Maybe our liver numbers are going off. And we got a doctor telling us, watch out! And we take that as a wake-up call to avoid drunkenness, to avoid misuse of a God's good gift. And we should take pleasure in the weakness because it's telling us you need to be sanctified in that area. It's the flashing sign, hope here, salvation here, come to Christ. And we see that when that happens, we become those who are more ready to be with Christ. For these women and the twelve were with Jesus and we clear out some of the clutter in our life, and we focus on Christ, and we follow him more devotedly. God is always calling us to grow. As it says in Romans 6, 18 and 19, and having been set free from sin, that's justification, you became slaves of righteousness. 
I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. You see weakness? Weakness, that's the same word, astheneia. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. We've got to be in a continual process of sanctification. Having been set free, we walk away from our weakness into God's strength as we confess it. And I ask you here today, to recognize the moral element in some infirmities. And we also know that this is a, 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 a taking pleasure in the infirmity, which is interceded for us by Christ at the right hand. It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ knows what it means to be tempted. He never sinned. So if you are coming up against a weakness in terms of temptation that is a besetting sin, that is a temptation that comes after you time after time, know that Christ at the right hand intercedes for you. And come in prayer. Come as those who are honest with God about temptation. As it says in James chapter number 5 and verse number 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is the power of God in action. That you come to a brother as a brother, you come to a sister as a sister, you confess your temptations, you confess those times when you fell into temptation, and you pray that you may be healed. There is a built-in accountability factor there. The, the sin has come out of the darkness. The sin has come into the light. And we no longer hide in the darkness, but our sins begin to wither in the beautiful sunshine of God's grace and love. However, when we hide it, and it's us against the sin by ourselves, we are sure to fall. Come to Christ and do it the way the Bible tells us to do it. Now, another way in which we also feed See, in overcoming of, of infirmities and receive God's power, there's another meaning of that word, which simply has to do with sickness, period. It's not always a sinful sickness. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 20 that Hezekiah prayed. Isaiah came to him, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And Hezekiah says, remember now, O Lord, I pray. How I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return to tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. And surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. 
Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Do you see, he prayed. He was set free to go worship the Lord on the third day. And there were human means that God used, a poultice of figs that helped him get healed. God ordains healing, but he has means also to the healing. I encourage you to be a people of prayer. I encourage you to be a people who worship publicly with God's people, that you will go up on the third day to the house of the Lord, in your case, every seven days, that you would be those who use wise medicines, good food, poultices, exercise. The Apostle Paul says, but bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. You know, I learned two things from that. Yeah, exercise does help a little. So exercise. But focus on godliness, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Come to the Lord as you experience these types of infirmities here in verse 10. And secondly, in reproaches. The word is hubris. You may have heard of it as being that pride which people have. And what it's unpacked here as is that when we have a pride against God, then we tend to reproach believers. When we are proud in the sight of our creator, we put down those who are humble before God. So when Paul was reproached, he was put down by these super apostles who mocked him. They mocked his preaching style because he was weak. They mocked his doctrine. He preached grace, the grace of our Lord. He mentions grace here. He was a grace-filled man with regard to not earning our righteousness. He points that out in 11.15 when he describes the super apostles as being ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. Yes, their end will be according to their works and they will go to hell for it because their works will never save them. We must stand and when the reproaches come against us, we need to lay it down before God and say, they're attacking you, God. They're not attacking me. Here's the deal. Pride will not be satisfied in this life until it meets an eternal maker. And then the day of accountability will come for them. Make room for the vengeance of God. Some are being reproached even for being a Christian. My son is no longer allowed to pray on his own time during lunch hour with staff members of his company in two other cities across the world using a company Skype meeting room. All other kinds of things can be used there, but no, you can't pray on your own time at lunchtime. Others in the workplace are being reproached for expressing liberty of conscience in the hallway. But strength comes from above as we quietly carry on recognizing authority and its role in our lives, submitting, but not caving in on our views. The third word is in needs. It's the word ananke, which is a constraint, a distress, a need, 
or a necessity. If you took, take a look at Luke 21 and 23, take a look at Luke 21 and 23, you see a use of this word in the word distress that you find there, 21 and 23. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress on the land and wrath upon this people. The basic idea is there's neediness. If you have a young baby and the second coming is happening, it's not going to be a good day because you're going to need to be running. Uh, referring to here to, to believers, uh, but what's really behind it is the idea that if you're not in Christ, you'll be running for the hills. And so this whole idea of need is defined by this verse. And some of the needs we have are in relationship to our children, those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days. And this brings up the whole issue of the needs we have in our family, the needs we have in how we raise our kids, and our need for God's grace in that type of Need. The word need here is given some shape and some contour by Luke 22, but I want to unpack that for you as we think about how raising children can be one of the neediest moments of our lives. When we recognize that we're not the perfect parents always. Uh, some research was done recently by Effective Science is published in Effective Science in early 2021. And researchers evaluated how parents respond to family stress. And evidently, Belgium and Poland are the worst at the top of the list. But here in the United States, we have the third most prevalent problem of parental burnout, which means that if we're burned out in our relationship, we begin to cut ourselves off from our children. We have distance from them. And that can lead to parental ineffectiveness, neglect, and even worse in some cases. Now, the researchers are trying to understand why is this happening? And why does it happen in Western countries like those I just mentioned, and not so much in the third world or other places? And what they say is this, quote, what parents feed their children, how they discipline them, where they put them to bed, how they play with them, all of these have become politically and morally charged questions. The distinction between what children need and what might enhance their development has totally disappeared. And anything less than optimal parenting is framed as perilous, unquote. In other words, if you're not perfect, you might as well just hang it up. And that's sometimes the messages we get in the media today. There's no distinction between what might be enhancing their development and uh, what has to happen. And can I just suggest to you that we come to God with our questions about parenting. We come to God with our sense of need when it comes to how are we raising our children. There's this public service television announcement you may have seen 
uh, seeking those who would be foster parents. And it ends with this phrase, you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. And that's not true just for foster kids. Your child will take you just as you are. But we've got to come to God with our sense of need. Be ready to get coaching from the Bible, coaching from other Christians. You want to get a real tearjerker, Google Crenshaw Family Adoption. Wow, it's not that the parents have to be perfect. It's just that they need someone to love and to be there for me. Christ's power sets us free from the tyranny of perfection. And that can reduce the anger levels in homes, reduce the whole ideas of frustration and parental burnout. Humility before the living Christ, recognizing our needs, whatever part of life it is, it's not just for parents, it's for any need that when we recognize our need, we leave room for God to fill in that need. And the next item is in persecutions. It's the word diagmos, physical attacks for specific people for specific reasons. And in this case, it's for religious reasons. It's the persecution of the prophets that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 12. It's the persecution of the Christians delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And then in Revelation 12, 13, it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, and that's the church. It was the church that brought forth Jesus. Mary was part of Christ's church, and the world is going to come after the church and persecute it. I think of the Christians in Afghanistan attacked by the Taliban. I think of Christians in other countries, former communist countries, and I suggest that we need to go to prayer. We need to pray that they will be protected, that they can escape, and that they, if found, will be propelled into the presence of God. Think of these Christians, martyrs, not because of bad things they did, but because of true things they confess about Jesus being the Son of God and their Savior. How different from the jihadists who are promised 72 virgins in paradise upon their arrival there. Islam is a coarse religion, appealing to man's lust rather than the self-giving love which Jesus calls us to. Today, stand firm in your faith and you will receive the power of God. We pray for those people, our sisters and brothers. And last, in distresses, it's the word stenochorea. You've heard of stenosis of the veins. It's a narrowing of the veins. It leads to heart problems. Well, stenochorea is when we're squeezed by life. We're squeezed by tribulation. And we don't know where to go because it feels like the walls are closing in on us. Here. It's at that moment, the worst moment of our life when we seem to be trapped, that we have to remember the words of Habakkuk, 
where it says, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the trees, though the labor of the oil may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. When you feel trapped, he's going to give you a mountain to go to where you're released from the prison. He is going to provide the way out. And what we need to do is we need to confess our distress and say, God, I have no room here. Give my heart a place to go. Give me an opportunity to worship you. Give me an expression of your liberating love. And, you know, sometimes what happens is that God surprises us. There was a woman who now worships here as a member of our church here who was trapped in a cult, a semi-perversion of Christianity. She felt trapped, and she never went to church. But someone here invited her, and on the day before her husband died, at the moment when she, with no children, is about to lose her husband, and her world is closing in on her, God opened up her world and introduced her to the living Christ at this congregation. And sometimes what we need is simply to get over the fact that we need to be with God's people, hearing God's word on a regular basis, that this place becomes a place, as foreign as it may feel to some people, it is a place where God opens us and gives us that mountain where we can climb like on deer's feet. Even when you're going through the worst, infirmities, approaches, and needs, and persecutions, and distresses, when you are weak, then you are strong. And it's dependent on this fact that as we move to verse 11, we recognize I am nothing. Now, we went through this two weeks ago. I'm not going to belabor the point again. But in Deuteronomy 8, God says that specifically to his covenant people. You think you're a success? You think you're wealthy because of all your hard work? Guess what? I gave you the strength to work. And all our achievements and all our accomplishments of individualism are based on God giving common grace to the world and a special grace of salvation to his people. So let us confess with those in Deuteronomy, and let us confess with Jesus that we are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. But the wonderful thing that happens is that when we confess that, the woman who knows that she is nothing is the woman who can do everything in the power of Christ. The man who knows he is nothing is the man who knows no limits according to the sovereign plan of God in his life. The boy who knows he is nothing is the boy who is humble enough to trust Christ to make him into a godly man. And the girl who knows she is nothing is the girl who will become a powerhouse of a woman of God. Girls growing gracefully in the light of Christ. 
God is at work to bring us to this point of confessing our nothingness so that we can go out and become something by his grace. And that's a miracle of transformation that when we are lowly before God, he will lift us up and give us a place to stand even before his throne and in the presence of people with a message to tell. And the third point is that God is at work and God was at work through the apostles proving their authority. Verse 12. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And Jesus, right here, Paul is identifying miracles and signs and wonders specifically with the apostles. Those signs and wonders ended in the apostolic era. And we know that it is on the basis of the accreditation of these apostles by these miracles that we gain confidence that not only did they do these miracles, but they wrote down God's word authoritatively and inerrantly. Now review with me that the church is based on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. You see the imagery. This is foundational. The prophets in the Old Testament gave us that word, the first 39 books of the Bible, the Apostles gave us the 27 books of the New Testament and is all with Christ himself being that chief cornerstone which holds the arch together. Yes, this foundation is secure in Jesus himself. It is our only rule of faith and practice. The canon of scripture is closed. And here we understand from the Bible that the reason we have confidence one of the reasons is that these apostles knew jesus personally and they were commissioned by jesus even paul who didn't know christ necessarily during his earthly ministry met him face to face on the damascus road and so we we understand we claim the power of this word as the holy spirit opens up for us without claiming to do the things that the apostles do that's a false power that is a neglectful reading of God's holy word. And one more support for this view. If you turn with me, please, to Hebrews and chapter 1. You'll see there in the first four verses of both chapters 1 and 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. That's what happened. He spoke in times past to the prophets. But now, in these last days, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. See, that's the context of a reference to signs and wonders in chapter 2. Now read it with me, chapter 2, 1 through 4. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, 
lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Note this. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Do you see in verse 3, the apostles are speaking and it's confirmed to us by those who heard him, those who knew Jesus. And it's linked specifically with verse 4, a bearing witness with signs and wonders. Those signs and wonders are for us, just as they were for the people who saw them with their biological eyes. This is a reliable book. This is a truthful book. And we do not need to have the ability to powerfully arrogate to ourselves the doing of miracles. So I call you today to be those who know your weakness and who even confess it that you who boast in your weaknesses may know the Shekinah glory of Christ upon you. For we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let us pray. Bless these dear saints. Give us a confidence in Christ's power. Let us watch the wake-up signs as they come into our life, whether it be experiences of temptation or repentance from sin, that we would recognize things, weaknesses, that are pointing us to the need in our life. Oh, Lord Jesus, show us a great confidence through your brothers and sisters, that our brothers and sisters they put around us a readiness to come alongside of one another and share the needs that we have, the confession that we don't have it totally perfect, far from it, but we can serve as parents, we can serve as grandparents, we can serve as sisters and brothers in Christ in this church family. Oh Lord, we're thankful for this word revealed and accredited by signs and wonders, even performed by the apostles. We trust in you, and we believe in you. You have shown us the way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.